Yeah, life is like that, isn't it? Just when you think you have one virus on the run, and it looks like we may be turning the corner on this whole COVID-19 issue, another virus reams up again and starts to bite you in the another area. Well, that's the case with hepatitis C. Mirroring the opioid crisis, maternal and newborn hepatitis C infections more than doubled in the U.S. between 2009 and 2019. So in this episode, we're going to review not just this new data that was just released from JAMA Health Statistics, but we're also going to take a look why ACOG says identifying these patients during pregnancy is critical to improve maternal and neonatal health. This information showing this doubling of hepatitis C among both maternal and newborn hepatitis C was published in JAMA Health Forum that looked at the vital statistics reports for this infection. This actually was released on October the 29th, 2021, and you can find that online through JAMA Network. Here's what the numbers look like. It used to be 1.8 per 1,000 live births for those affected with HCV. However, the number is now 5.1 per 1,000. So there's two ways to look at it. Oh man, we're up to 5 per 1,000, which is the way that I look at it. Or the other way is, eh, it's 5 per 1,000. The absolute number is still pretty small. Yes, that is true. But remember, we going from, or we went from 1.8 per 1,000 to 5.1 per 1,000. If we don't get ahead of this, I mean, where are we going? And at what point do we think that this is a real significant rise? Is it 10 per 1,000, 15 per 1,000? I'm telling you, this was an issue at 1 per 1,000. Then it went to 1.8. And now we're at 5.1. So stop looking at the absolute number, which is totally important, but the rate of rise also can't be ignored. Now remember, this isn't an ACOG issue alone. Look at the different organizations, the different agencies that have recommended universal hepatitis C viral screening for every pregnancy. That includes the U.S. Preventative Service Task Force, ACOG, and the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine. They all recommend at least one time screening for a universal hepatitis C viral infection during pregnancy, ideally early on or at the first prenatal visit, to properly triage patients if they're found to be positive. The most recent practice advisory calling for routine hepatitis C viral screening in pregnancy came from the college in May of 2021. That's not that long ago. That practice advisory reminds us that hepatitis C is now the most commonly reported bloodborne infection in the U.S. And due to increased number of HCV infections among women of childbearing age, perinatal transmission, both intrauterine and intrapartum, is increasing. That's why some, especially in the perinatal groups in the SMFM realms, have argued that ACOGS is not doing enough. Recommending universal HCV screening is fantastic, but doing it once during pregnancy, is that enough? Well, that's more of a theoretical question or a philosophical question, but there is this move to push the standard OB labs at admission to hospitals, you know, the routine OB admission labs, to include hepatitis C. 
I mean, most hospitals already do type in RH or type in screen, HIV, syphilis, hepatitis B surface antigen. But why not include hepatitis C virus in that admission labor and delivery order set? I'm all in favor for that. I think that is the right way to go. But a recent survey has found that not all hospitals are doing that. So once again, ACOG makes a statement of checking at least once during pregnancy and hopefully at the first prenatal visit. But some are calling for more, including checking on admission to labor and delivery so you can see for any new conversions. And I think that's a pretty good idea. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, I think we've established that screening and looking for this is actually important. But what about management? Well, remember that hepatitis C virus is now considered a curable disease. I mean, that's just wild to me because I remember when ribavirin or interferon, all these other alternative treatments were out there, and it was a chronic process. But it's totally curable now. Until therapy during pregnancy is an option, management during pregnancy should be focused on lifestyle modification, establishment of care with a specialist for long-term treatment, and optimization of prenatal visits. Hepatitis C viral treatment should be pursued prior to planned pregnancy, and obviously if it's diagnosed intra-pregnancy, then it's important to get that done as soon as the patient delivers. Patients with hepatitis C virus in pregnancy should be counseled on the associated increased risk of adverse maternal and neonatal outcomes. So I'm going to show you what those are in just a minute. Associated outcomes may be due to confounders, that's true. However, it's not clear enough if it's a hepatitis C virus alone that's the most potent variable in these adverse outcomes, or if it's these other environmental issues like opioid use that sadly tends to go along with it. All right, so if you're asked on your oral boards or on a written test or just by a patient, well, what are some of the increased risks because of hepatitis C virus in pregnancy? Well, here they are. Patients tend to have a higher risk of blood transfusion. They tend to have, of course, possibility of abnormal liver function, and they tend to have a higher diagnosis of intrahepatic cholestasis of pregnancy compared to those without hepatitis C. And intrahepatic cholestasis, of course, is its own separate issue of problems. Well, of course, then there's fetal risks. The fetal risks are associated with hepatitis C virus by itself, but it's even compounded if intrahepatic cholestasis does occur because remember that the risk of stillbirth is directly related to the serum levels of bile acids. And while we thought that the level was significantly elevated at 40, we now have pushed up that level to 100 for total serum bile acids. Another fetal risk is that of fetal growth restriction or being born small for gestational age. Now, we haven't even talked about transmission rates yet, but we will in just a minute. But for now, remember that fetal growth restriction, small for gestational age, and in the setting of cholestasis of pregnancy, if the levels are high enough, of course, that carries the worst risk of all, which is stillbirth. Now, here's a big clinical pearl. Pregnancy, it seems, does not appear to worsen disease course or progression, so that's at least a good thing. And we're moving on. 
Before we get to issues like transmission, quick thing about some initial labs. If a patient is known to be hepatitis C virus positive, remember you're going to want to order the RNA viral load. You can also order viral genotyping if it's a new diagnosis. Now that's not going to matter during pregnancy, but it's going to help the hepatologist, the liver specialist, tailor treatment based on the specific viral genotype that the patient has. So it's good information to get. Always remember to get baseline LFTs. And when we talk about serial monitoring, that's one of the things that we're going to be checking for. Always get a CBC and look for platelets as well, as well as prothrombin, just to make sure that there's no occult liver damage being magnified or being shown in terms of the COAG profile. Remember to test for SCDs when appropriate. And it's always a good idea to check for other forms of hepatitis, like hepatitis A, since we already cover hepatitis B as part of the routine evaluation for prenatal care. Those were initial labs, but it's okay to repeat some of these, even if the patient is asymptomatic, to look for any uh, subacute presentations or occult presentations of worsening infection. So this includes evaluation of liver function that you can do once a trimester, and then remember to repeat the viral load in the third trimester to assess not just for spontaneous clearance, but also any worsening of viral load because that's going to have pediatric implications. Now, what about fetal management or fetal surveillance? Well, there's no set guidelines for management in the setting of hepatitis C virus. But because it can cause fetal growth restriction, then there is a call for serial assessment of fetal growth, especially in the third trimester, due to increased associations for this FGR issue and being born small for gestational age. Now, regarding vertical or intrapartum management, transmission is a real deal here. Transfer of HCV can occur at any point during pregnancy, however. While most tend to happen during labor and delivery, there can be some antepartum. The overall rate of vertical transmission is estimated to be about 2 to 8%. Now, it's estimated that the majority of cases of vertical transmission occur in the last month of pregnancy or during L&D. Importantly, vertical transmission accounts for most cases of childhood hepatitis C viral infections, so that's another clinical pearl. It's also been documented that co-infection with HIV obviously increases the risk of vertical transmission, as well as maternal HCV disease progression. Now here's a good thing to keep in mind. Undetectable viral load significantly decreases the risk for vertical transmission to almost negligible, so that's great. However, the rates of transmission are the same if they're high, irrespective of mode of delivery. Do y'all get that? So cesarean delivery should be reserved for obstetric indications. I think we need to stop there for just a minute and make this a little bit more clear because this whole issue of viral load is a little confusing. So if the viral load is negligible, obviously that's good, right? But it's unclear whether the HCV viral load affects the rate of vertical transmission if it's high. I mean, it makes sense, but various studies have shown an association for increased risk of transmission with higher loads, while others have not. So remember, what we know that's not disputed is that if the viral load is undetectable, then the risk of vertical transmission is almost negligible. But if it's high, while it makes sense that the rate of transmission would be higher, not all studies have shown that. 
Nonetheless, there are some things that we can do as healthcare providers, specifically in labor and delivery, that can reduce the risk of transmission. Use of internal monitors with both uterine or fetal scalp electrode are known to increase the risk of transmission, so don't use internals unless you really have to. Also, even though routine episiotomy has gone out the window, if you think you really need to do one, think twice in cases of hepatitis C virus since doing one does increase the risk of vertical transmission. And lastly, having ruptured membranes for greater than six hours in some studies does increase the risk of vertical transmission. But remember, C-section should be done just for that. The indication for C-section should follow routine obstetrical practice. Okay, as we wrap this up, a quick word about breastfeeding. Hepatitis C viral RNA has been detected in colostrum and breast milk of infected women. So that sounds terrible, right? However, there's no evidence of newborn transmission via breast milk. So if you're asked, women with hepatitis C virus who are HIV negative should still be encouraged to breastfeed. If, however, there's cracked or bloody nipples, then common sense states that breast milk should be discarded until healing is complete due to the unknown risk of transmission. Well, that brings us to a wrap. We have covered hepatitis C viral infection in pregnancy, more specifically, the importance of screening during the prenatal interval, as well as in labor and delivery. As always, thank you for being part of our podcast family, and we'll see you next time in Clinical Pearls.